0: So, thank you for joining us this 4th of July weekend. Yikes. Sorry about that. I'll stay over here. So, so, just really appreciate you guys being here with us, just celebrating just the Declaration of Independence for our country. And <clears throat> I know a lot of you probably saw the sign that said, Live for Liam, when you were walking in. I believe some of the high school kids around here um, put that up. And I don't want to get super heavy, super fast, but there's just been some really unfortunate things have happened in our community recently. So if you guys would join me in prayer for our country as well as for the things that have happened in our community, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for our country, Lord. Lord God, we've got our problems and our issues and our fights, Lord, but it's still the freest place we can be. And I just thank you so much for that, Lord. I pray that you just bless our country, Lord. Lord, that those of us who know you would just know you better and love you more and love other people more. And, Lord, that people that don't know you would get to know you through our example, Lord God, through our being faithful. And, Lord, just I lift up our community to you, Lord, just with just these horrible things that have happened in our community, Lord. It's like one of those things like I don't even even know how to pray for it, Lord. And, God, I just pray that you just bring peace, for those of us who are hurting, Lord. Lord, just that you would just do your thing in your way that you only you can know how to do, Lord. And Lord God, I pray for those who are barely holding on, Lord, Lord, that are on the edge, that are having the thoughts, Lord, that you would just intervene in just such a powerful way that you would become the loudest voice in their life. And Lord, that we each of us would just commit, Lord, that if there is somebody hurting, Lord, that we can just come alongside them and show love, that we could be a light for them to hold on to. And if it just day after day, Lord, God, just to be that light, then help them learn how to make you the loudest voice in their life. God, I pray you just open up our hearts to just the words that you have provided for us today, Lord, in your, in your scripture, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so as most of you know, we're in a sermon series on Luke. Ernie and Blake uh, did a, a series of Jesus, they call it Sermon on the Plain. Probably second to, Jesus' second most important sermon that he did, second to Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talked about the Beatitudes, which he also talked about on the Sermon on the Mount. Talked about some woes about to people that are, could have been a little confusing that I personally need to study up more. Talked about being merciful and being good fruit and building our, our faith and our life on the rock. And I just want to encourage you, like if you don't know where to start in Scripture or where, you, where you're looking for something else to start reading in Scripture, read that every day and ask God like, to talk to you about it, and you'll grow for a long time. So today we're in Luke chapter 7, and after Jesus does this sermon, it says he enters Capernaum. And Jesus is pretty well-known in Capernaum. He's spent a lot of time there. He um, cast out some demons, healed some people. The guy who was let down through the ceiling by his friends um, was in Capernaum. Jesus' mother-in-law was healed in Capernaum. Uh, A few of Jesus' disciples were from Capernaum. So when Jesus came into Capernaum, nobody was like, who's that guy? Like, everybody knew who he was. People knew what he was about. And even the Roman soldiers knew who Jesus was. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. It says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, asking him to come heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, "He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue." And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even, in Isra- not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So it says that he asked the Jewish elders to come to Jesus. And probably part of maybe like a chain of command thing because the centurion was a soldier, so he's following a chain of, command, chain, of, chain of command. He sent Jewish elders to Jesus instead of coming to Jesus himself. And as we've studied Luke, I've kind of gotten in the habit of anytime there's Jewish elders, Pharisees, scribes, lawyers, synagogue leaders involved, I got to question their motives. I got to question their motives because it's, they are constantly were trying to trap Jesus or have Jesus killed or find some incriminating thing against Jesus. And it says that they just, just were kind of went, it sounds like they kind of just went over the top with, oh, Jesus, you, gotta, you should heal this guy's servant. He's good to us. He loves us. But I kind of feel like there was an ulterior motive here that maybe it was kind of a setup a little bit with the Jewish elders. Because for one... Like Rome conquered Israel. They were occupying Israel. The Romans could be like, I want what you have and just take it. And there, by law, there was nothing the Jews could do about it. So for the elders to kind of be over the top to help this guy just seems just a little off to me. And I think this, the elders kind of looked at it as a win-win situation. So the first win is they could be like, get the uh, favor from the centurion, and oh, ask for Jesus to help the centurion, right? Some political affair, maybe a little bit of clout. Maybe they wanted something from the centurion because the centurion was probably like the top dog in town. He was the Roman, top Roman in town, so he kind of called the shots. And the second thing I kind of feel like the uh, Jewish elders were doing is they wanted to get Jesus in trouble. They wanted Jesus to go to the centurion's house to heal this guy, his servant because in that time it was against Jewish culture and belief for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile. So if they could do something to get Jesus to go into the centurion's house, they had more incriminating evidence against Jesus to be like, oh no, he went into that guy's house. Like, He shouldn't be doing that. He can't be doing that. Like, Well, I tag that onto the number of things that he's, that he's done wrong, the laws, the rules he's broken, the laws he's broken. Like, He shouldn't be teaching. So they saw that as a win-win. At best... They got Jesus in trouble and gained favor with the centurion. And at worst, they just gained favor with the centurion. These guys seemed like they would be pros at discrediting people. And as usual, Jesus turned the whole thing on their head. He honored the centurion, and Jesus got glorified in the, through this whole situation. So now let's talk about the centurion. What is a centurion? Who was this guy? Now, a centurion was an officer in the Roman army, highly, highly respected. These guys were lifelong soldiers who pretty much earned their rank through acts of valor in battle. These were not guys who were born into it, into a rich family, so they became officers, or the guys who their parents were, or they were politicians, so they were given a commissioned to be an officer. Like these guys earned it. These guys were tip of the spear. These guys were front line. They probably intimidated, horribly intimidated the guys who were just appointed officer positions. And I kind of like that. These guys were some of the baddest men in history. Like you look out like throughout history, you line line up like some of the baddest men in history. Like these guys are right there. There's probably very, very few of us today that could stand toe to toe with one of these centurions. And if they made it to middle age or, to older, or old age, it was because they were phenomenal leaders and phenomenal warriors. Like I said, they led from the front. They probably had scars all over themselves from fighting and no, no scars on their back, Not from run, no, they didn't get any scars running away. Their face, their chest, their arms, their legs, because they plowed into the enemy. The centurion was a big deal. And what made him a big deal through eternity is he recognized something about Jesus that nobody else had yet. He recognized the greatness of Jesus when he probably hadn't even met him. He just heard about him and heard stories and just, just the Holy Spirit like, almost talked like, talk to him. Like, there's something about this guy. Like, You need to seek him out. And this was a big deal for the centurion to go to Jesus for help, because he could have just, by law, could have just commanded it. He could have just been like, I want you to do this for me. But the centurion was like, no, that's not my lane at all. I'm gonna ask Jesus for help. And it was some risks involved for the centurion to even go to a rabbi for help, especially a rabbi that had the following that Jesus had. Because this area that they were in was known for insurrection against Rome. The Jewish people, the Jewish leaders at that time were not interested in being ruled. And that's probably why that particular centurion was assigned to be in Capernaum is when insurrections arose, the other leadership from Rome knew that this guy could crush it. There were large crowds of people that followed Jesus where Jesus could say at any time, like, "Hey, let's revolt against Rome," and people would have done it. There were some people that wanted Jesus to do that. They thought he was the guy to do that. Jesus preached faithfulness to a monotheistic God. He preached faithfulness to one God, our God, who definitely was not one of the gods worshipped by uh, Roman polytheism. There was a lot of risks for the centurion to ask Jesus for help, publicly. And Jesus also referred to himself as the son of the God that he, got, he wanted, he, told, he preached to, for people to remain faithful to. And if any of the Romans knew the prophecies about the, Messiah, the coming Messiah for the Jewish people, they had something to be scared of. But look at the humility and the faithfulness of this centurion. When, Jesus, when he realized Jesus was coming. He said in Luke chapter 7, verses 6 and 8, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion recognized a lot of things about what it means to be a follower of Christ that's probably good for all of us to recognize as well. Is He knew he wasn't worthy. The Jewish elders are like, oh, this guy's worthy. This guy's awesome. Jesus, you should help him out. Jesus, heal the servant. Do whatever he wants. But the centurion, with all the power, the money, the uniform, the respect, Jesus, I'm not. I'm not worthy. He presumed nothing. He said, I wouldn't presume even to come to you personally. I know a lot of times in, in my walk, I found it very, very easy to presume what God was going to do in a particular situation or in my future. And it's really easy to do that. And almost never has it actually worked out the way I presumed it would. But he... One hundred percent submitted himself to Jesus, like, oh, I'm whatever you want. I'm yours. However you want this to go down, you, you go for it. He believed in the power of Jesus' word. He said, just, just say the word. It's going to happen. He understood that Jesus' ability to, ability to heal was not contingent on proximity. Jesus didn't have to come into his house to heal him. Jesus didn't have to do some ritual over the servant to heal him. All Jesus had to do was just say the word. Sometimes we feel like God's so far away. We feel like there's no emotional connection between God God and us. He's still working on our hearts. He's still working on our lives. Just because we don't feel it doesn't mean he's not doing his work. It's not always about proximity. Often it's just about faith and believing that Jesus is going to come through for us in ways that we are better than we could even understand. And he, I mentioned this a little bit before. He recognized the greatness of Christ before anybody else. Roman soldier, powerful guy, warrior, sees Jesus and recognizes that. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do, we, how, how, can we po- how do we recognize greatness? Is it even possible to know somebody at, at, at a young age or when they're up and coming and be like, that guy's going to be the champion or that guy's going to cure cancer? Like, it's almost impossible to know. Like, sometimes, like, if we've got our kind of our foot in that arena, we can kind of see a potential future, but totally guessing it, it's not going to happen. There's some guys I knew in high school. Uh, one of them was an absolute beast on the football field. He's two years younger than me, and he completely crushed me. He was a freshman, I was a junior, and I was terrified to line up against him because I knew he was gonna just toss me to the ground with one hand and do whatever he's going to do. Now this guy, now I played for a 5A, 5A school down in the valley. And uh, he got scholarship to ASU. Got drafted to the Ravens. Retired a few years ago. Based on his numbers, there's a good chance he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. And every step of his journey, I was like, yeah, I could see that. Yep, I could see that. So I firsthand experienced his ability. So I had a good idea, a decent idea, like none of that came as a surprise to me. Another guy, he was two years older than me, and he had all the fundamentals, all the love of the game, all the drive. He just lacked the physicality to get a scholarship for football. So what did he do? He went to work hard. Eventually he walked on to ASU's football team, Ended up getting drafted into the NFL. He broke some records for his position when he was doing the NFL Combine. And now he's one of the announcers for CBS. I didn't see that coming at all. Like I knew, he was older than me, so he didn't really like have anything to do with me. And I'm not, by any means, am I not friends with either of these guys? Like if I sat down next to one of them on a airplane, which I wouldn't, because I wouldn't be in first class. They wouldn't know me from anybody else. I would have to tell them, like, hey, man, like, you ran me over one time, and what you did was so inspiring, like, so don't, it's like, I, they don't know me, but sometimes we can get an inkling of that, man, this guy might be great, but somehow this centurion was able to see even deeper than that, and the faith and humility of this centurion as he approached Jesus is an excellent example, example of servant leadership. And it even surprised Jesus. It says in verses 9 and 10 that when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him turning, and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So not even in all Israel, not even in the people who were expecting a savior, not even in the people who were praying for a savior to come, not even the the people who studied the scriptures all the time could see it or had that faith that this centurion had. And I think it's important to point out here that only twice does it say in the Bible that Jesus marveled. Once at this centurion, for his great faith. And once at the nation of Israel in Mark chapter 6, for their lack of faith. We're favored through our faith. We're favored through our faith. And not only that, our salvation is based on our faith. We believe in our hearts and confess with our our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we're saved. Our salvation is based on our faith. Now, this account is also told in Matthew chapter 8, and it goes a little in a little more, expands a little bit on what Jesus said about the faith of the centurion. It says, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So who are those that Jesus is talking about that's going to come from the east and the west? Who are those that are going to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the early leaders and founders of of Israel? It's us, right? Jesus died on the cross for all of us. And I think that was probably not a very popular statement to the Jews when Jesus said that because they thought that the Savior and the Messiah was going to come just for them. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's for East and West. That's for everybody. And Acts chapter 10 tells the story of another centurion named Cornelius. And by many biblical scholars, he's considered the First con- Gentile convert to Christianity, and I don't think it's a mistake that he's also a centurion. He came; he had great pride, great, great pride, great faith, and great humility. And there's a good chance that the centurion in Capernaum and the centurion in, or Cornelius, or the Cornelius, the other centurion who was from Caesarea, they're about sixty miles apart. And there's a good chance they knew each other. Maybe sent men back and forth to each other with messages, or they maybe there's an insurrection that they work together to take care of. And I imagine that the centurion in Capernaum probably told him, like, if you hear anything about Jesus, listen up. This is what he did. Like, if you hear anything about him, like, you need to eat that up. And he did. So Acts chapter 10, Cornelius had a vision. An angel came to him and told him where Peter was staying. And told him, like, hey, send some guys to go get Peter. And listen to what Peter has to say. And about that same time, Peter also had a vision. And it was, Peter saw all these animals and different things. And Jews, Jews had a very set diet, that they there are only certain things that they could eat, and, so, and a lot of things were considered unclean. And God's like, oh, Peter, in this vision, God's like, Peter, take and eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 I've never eaten anything unclean. And it happened again. And it happened again. Peter, take, eat. And Peter's like, no, like, I haven't eaten anything that's unclean. Like, why are you telling me to do this, to tell me to do something that, based on our traditions, and on the Old Testament scriptures, I'm not supposed to do. So Peter is sitting there. He's contemplating what God was trying to tell him. Doesn't understand. And then Cornelius' guys come knocking on the door looking for Peter. And God says, go with those guys. So Peter starts talking to these guys. And in Acts 10:22, it says, and they said, Cornelius, a centurion, upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken of, by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? A centurion, upright and God-fearing, who is well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So Peter went with these guys. Now what's crazy is last week when Ernie opened up his message, he was talking about Peter being at a place he may not have have been and kind of hanging out with those people. That's this story. I was already planning on talking about this before Ernie talked about it last week. It was awesome. So Peter shows up, tells Cornelius and his family the gospel message, and Cornelius and his whole household accept Christ. The first Gentiles to hear the gospel and accept it. And God didn't stop just with those two Roman soldiers. Over time, the gospel started spreading like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire, and especially through the military. Enlisted men, conscripts, officers, centurions were coming to Christ. It's just like God to take something that was an instrument of oppression and fear and death, and then he turns it all around and glorifies himself. How cool is that? And there were times when these Christian soldiers were persecuted for their faith. There was a a legion of Roman soldiers called the Thundering Legion, and this is a pretty popular story, so some of you may have heard this. And they refused to persecute their fellow Christians. And so the... Roman leadership gathered these guys up. There were 40 of them gathered these guys up, made them take, uh, take off all their clothes and took them to a frozen pond and sent them out to the middle of the, fo- of the pond to freeze. And they prayed together and they yelled out encouragement to each other. And time went on, and frostbite be able to set in, and they started no, just accepting the fact that they were going to die. One guy and recanted his faith. And what the Roman soldiers who were guarding them did is they put warm baths along the perimeter of the pond and said, hey, if you deny Christ, you can get a bath, you can get some warm clothes. And one guy was like, I can't do it. And he rejected his faith and went and... Took the warm, accepted the warm bath and warmed up and saved his own life for the short term. And while that was going on, there was another guy who was uh, guarding them. And he saw angels attending to the men who were freezing. And He probably stood there on the edge of the water, on the edge of the ice and dropped his spear, took off his helmet, his armor, his warm clothes, and ran out and joined those soldiers. Like that is great faith. That is great humility for all of them. And like even these these soldiers, like they were warriors. And even though they were naked and didn't have any weapons, like, they could throw down. They could have charged the edge of the pond and fought. Most of them probably would have died. A few of them would have escaped, maybe. But they didn't. Their faith and their humility was so strong that, like, all right, Lord, whatever you want to do. I know if you want to save us, you can, but otherwise I'm just going to die for you, and I'm cool with that. Like, there is nothing... God can't do when we have strong faith and strong humility. Nothing. That's where the power of God in our lives becomes apparent. Like we might still have fear. We might still have anxiety. We might still have depression. We might still have shame. But none of that is the loudest voice in our life. Like God may not take that away, but it won't be the loudest voice. When great faith meets great humility, the dreams that God puts in our heart where we're like, I don't know, like that's not, I can't do that. We start chasing that. When faith meets humility in our lives, relationships that we never thought we would get back, we seek after them and God can restore them. When faith meets humility, we can truly start to heal when faith meets humility we, can, we stop praying for an easy life and start praying God every, whatever you want me to do I'm in whatever you want me to do I'm in some of you are already doing that And those of you who aren't, I would challenge you to do that, to pray every day, Lord, increase my faith, Lord, increase my humility, do it for a week and see what God does, do it for a month and see how your perspective of life has changed, do it for a year and see what God has done, do it for a lifetime and imagine what God might have to say to you when you get to heaven. I love you guys. Pray for faith and pray for humility.